Welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. News out of Amazon this week has them cutting their commission for those that are making Alexa apps. Anybody who makes less than $1 million will see their commission cut from 30% to 20% starting in the second quarter of 2022. This follows, obviously, a long list of companies who have cut their commissions for creators in the last year. It's in some ways surprising that they haven't done it earlier. They've clearly tried to motivate developers to develop for the uh, Alexa platform. And in some ways, it's surprising that they right now charge a commission at all, given the what I'll call lack of real success they've seen on getting users to use more than the default settings or the smart home settings to really take advantage of some of the uh, paid offerings that exist on the platform. Yeah, we've we've talked about uh, Amazon's moves to try to entice developers to do more on the platform, uh, particularly at its last developer conference. It uh, it talked about new monetization methods that it's bringing to the platform. So I would agree, Sean. I, I think this is more of a prelude to what we're going to see in 2022 and beyond, uh, even though it's coming long after, say, Apple cut its commissions very different set of circumstances there. Apple was reacting to criticism regarding the rules of the App Store and what has been a vibrant digital economy, whereas here, and I would argue also for what Microsoft is trying to do with its App Store, more of an emerging uh, app economy or skill economy in the case of Alexa. So at the end of the day, these kinds of moves don't really impact the store provider very much because most of the revenue is driven off those very high grossing apps uh, for which this won't apply or at least doesn't apply for uh, for Apple's app store. Uh, so at the same time, these companies get to tell a really good story about how they are lowering the commission for the vast majority of developers who aren't making more than a million dollars a year. So it's a, a great story to tell from the from the reach of developers' perspective. But uh, again, it's one that doesn't really impact them very much financially. It will be interesting to see what happens around digital agents in 2022, because it feels to me like some of the mo- momentum that has existed in that category for the last couple of years is slowing. I know from my own experience that I find that uh, they aren't answering the type of questions that I'm wanting them to answer, which tend to be a bit more sophisticated be interesting to see how they evolve. The other day, I was trying to get weather in another city. I was trying to get a snow report at a ski resort, which I thought would be a pretty low-hanging request, and and it all comes down to syntax. I guess I had my syntax wrong, but uh, it was quicker to go to my phone and, and uh, search for it that way. So I think there's still a lot to, to come 
when it when it comes to that. We also saw Amazon recently release and start shipping their Echo Show 15. It was available for pre-order starting in November and it started to ship in December 9th. If you didn't order it early, you won't be getting it in time for the holidays. It looks like the uh, current estimated delivery time is in January, which suggests either they've had pretty strong uptake early on or perhaps more likely that supply chain constraints are hindering their ability to deliver those. So we might see a bunch of Echo 15 sitting on a boat off the coast of LA or Long Beach waiting to be (laughs) offloaded. The uh, Echo 15 is a 15.6 inch screened Echo device that is designed to mount on the wall. It's a 1080p touch display. It is the first Amazon device to use its new AZ2 Neural Edge processor, the uh, Amazon's latest chipset. It looks like the early reviews are mixed. It's a beautiful display that mounts to the wall. Uh, It's designed really to be a a family-friendly Alexa device that operates as the hub device in a household. So you've got places where you can leave notes, you can see memos, you can see Amazon packages that are being delivered, you can sync it to your calendars. Obviously, you can- Ring integration. Ring integration, of course, smart home controls, other things like that, to-do lists, though Alexa only to-do lists. And when you're not using it for Alexa applications, it's a photo display. So I actually really like the idea. I liked the idea when they announced it. I felt like it's a category that could do well. I have digital agents in a lot of rooms. I have always liked the idea of of digital displays and digital photo frames. So mixing the two seems to make a a lot of sense. And uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. They have a new what to eat option, which offers recipes and nearby delivery suggestions from partners like Domino's and of course, Whole Foods. So I also think that makes a lot of sense. You can see their position in it for those high travel parts of your home, like your kitchen. They put it there in, in your kitchen where the family tends to gather. Like all things in this space, they're looking at how do we monetize it either directly by having you as the user pay for skills, or how do we tie in partners that are paying essentially advertising fees or other uh, monetary fees to be in that central location and have have some uh, you know, some some key access to users when they're in their homes. I think there's a couple of different ways that you can look at this product. Uh, I would agree that, at least in theory, the idea of having some kind of digital hub home, digital home hub, uh, is is appealing, right? This idea of a, of a central screen that the family can take advantage of. Uh, the television never really blossomed into that. It, it's sort of a more point entertainment device, even though it has uh, such a large display. And I think that different companies have been working on different ways to make this happen for for literally decades. Uh, There was uh, a string of products, for example, PCs, various kinds of internet appliances. Um, You could argue some of the 
displays that have been integrated into these uh, these high-end refrigerators uh, that are trying to be some kind of central message hub, some kind of calendar, central calendar for the family. Uh, and so that's that's one way to think of it. And it it seems that from a features perspective, the uh, Echo Show 15 gets a, a lot of that right, uh, you know, even though some of the services may not be at the point of maturity where they're as useful as uh, we'd ideally like to see, but it seems that the the feature set uh, is, uh, is, is cleverly conceived. Uh, I think another way you can think about this is as a next step in the evolution of the Echo Show family. We saw some of this in the uh, Echo Show 10, um, <clears throat> previously the, the largest device in the Echo Show family. And um, as these, of course, uh, as these devices get larger, they tend to be more communal. And it's a really interesting contrast for me to the other product that uh, was announced a while back that is now available for purchase, which is the uh, Amazon Halo, a, a wearable wrist device that uh, offers very personalized uh, fitness recommendations and health tracking. And so we're seeing the uh, Alexa story, at least this holiday season, really branch out in, in two very different directions. One in this communal family way, and another uh, representing Amazon's uh, strongest first-party entrance to date into the world of uh, of wearables. And uh, like the like like the Echo Show 15, they have put their own spin on it with things like uh, with features such as uh, trying to determine the tone of your speech and. Uh, and and uh, giving you notice if you're coming across uh, in, in a way that uh, might be off-putting, uh, as well as recommending a lot of basic movement exercises, uh, particularly for the casual uh, person, person taking a casual approach to fitness, as opposed to someone who is uh, you know really in hardcore training mode. Uh, and, uh, and again, like the Echo Show 15, there have been a few misses in terms of the target of what they're trying to accomplish. But I would say that both of these products uh, are, uh, are, are bo both of these products would, would likely receive a more welcome uh, reception into the home and among groups of consumers than some of the other products that Amazon has uh, rolled out as of late, like like the Astro Robot, where there have been you know far greater uh, privacy concerns. Uh, you know there are legitimate privacy concerns to some of these products as well, but for some reason they just don't come across as being as invasive or as intrusive uh, as um, these other things, perhaps because they are uh, really in new um, new product categories or because they have more of this uh, surveillance and security uh, angle to them. The Echo Show 15 feels expensive to me at $250. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what the uptake is. 
But uh, I would agree with you, Ross, that you do see these devices moving towards shared devices. I mean, it's interesting in in the two products that we hit on, you've got one that's clearly designed to be shared across multiple users and is best utilized when shared across multiple users. And then you've got one that's really focused on individual use and and personal use and wearables. And uh, it's an area that Amazon likes to experiment. They really like to, uh, you know, to dabble in hardware and we'll probably see a lot of other creative, uh, you know, creative approaches where they can bring these things next year. They also want to see the digital agent in more devices. So I think that's, you know, they're looking at where else can we put this? I would also argue in terms of this notion of products aimed at the family. uh, One, I, I would argue that between something like this and Astro, they have done more in this space than their major ecosystem competitors. And the potential prize for that is not only understanding the dynamics of what individual family members want, but potentially also understanding more about the dynamics of how people interact in the home. And that is a a level of meta understanding, if you will, that could uh, provide insights that go beyond what you could learn about an individual. Definitely. I would uh, definitely agree with that, especially when it comes to things like meal prep, meal time, errands, purchases, shopping, all of those type of things will be interesting. It will be interesting to see how they end up using GIFs. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they use the camera on the device. I think it, it, there are no clear natural use cases for that. It kind of feels like, as I saw one writer describe it, portal had a baby, you know, maybe it's used for, for video chat or other things like that. But I think it also could be used for photo searches of products, adding things quickly, barcode scans, other things like that. So I think there's a lot that we could see there. Uh, we've also saw a lot of uh, news in the last week around the uh, social networks, Reddit filed to go public and, and confidentially filed its S1 with the SEC. Not much more was said about that in their release. Obviously, we'll have uh, greater insights once once we see the S1 and see what they have to say. Uh, The number of shares to be offered and the price range for those proposed offerings have not yet been determined. So we'll see that. Reddit, of course, founded in 2005. So it really has had a a long growth. Yeah, long growth period as a uh, non-public company has grown to 52 million daily users, 100,000 plus active subreddits. So it is a, uh, a big platform now that has grown and, and clearly other platforms that are competing in this space, the discords of the world are probably anxiously looking at how that IPO will do as a signal for what their their future might look like. Uh, the, the company earlier this year announced plans to double its staff by the end of 2021, by the end of this year, to around 1,400 employees. In August, they had announced that they had earned $100 million in ad revenue in the second quarter of 2021, nearly a 200% increase from the prior year. So they're signaling in advance of that IPO where the revenue is coming and also that that 
despite the fact that they have been around for a long time, that growth is still extremely strong. So more to come on on that front, you know, in, in the coming months as we see the S1 and see what the uptake looks like. Yeah, I, I think that there's perhaps some concern from the community that as Reddit becomes a public company, there may be more crackdowns on free speech, which has been a hallmark of the community for many years. But I think we've also seen, for example, looking at the history of Twitter, that for many years after the uh, after Twitter went public, there really were very, very few changes uh, in, in the core service. I would say that we've really only seen Twitter start to more aggressively expand and launch new services and consider new moderation techniques in the past, maybe three, four years tops. So, uh, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a newly minted public company, uh, Reddit will likely want to take things slow at first in terms of introducing changes to show that that level of continuity. Uh, but over time, uh, particularly as they want to court more mainstream advertisers, uh, it wouldn't be surprising if they take some measures to light up some of the the darker corners of the service. Yeah, I saw one person talk about how uh, Wall Street Bets, which is a very popular, was a very popular uh, subreddit this year, will make Reddit itself a tech meme stock. A so stock. We'll, yeah, we will uh, see how that uh, how that plays out with a bunch of redditors talking about uh, reddit as a as a public company and and the value there uh, you know the beauty of a platform like this is that there is some moderation that will need to take place as you point out ross to appease some of the larger mainstream advertisers but it it has organic growth built in because it easily can uh, adjust to the tastes and preferences of consumers as those tastes and preferences change and evolve new subreddits can be born and and grow from there so there's a continued opportunity embedded in the platform to to change to the you know needs and and preferences of its users in other uh, social media news we have seen instagram uh, take measures to embed Instagram profiles into web pages. So the idea is that uh, to, to improve discoverability by uh, allowing creators to build more of a, an audience for, uh, for their, their services, their products, for merchandise. Uh, and uh, in conjunction with this, it was very interesting to see Google uh, announced via its Area 120 incubator, uh, launching a service called, we believe it's pronounced Kaya, Q-A-Y-A, uh, a new service that allows the uh, creation of very simple storefronts that can be embedded into an Instagram profile. So for, of course, many years, Google has been largely shut out of the social media uh, so social media wars, 
YouTube, uh, of course, has provided a, a robust home for creators, uh, but uh, this is an opportunity for them to potentially monetize or insert themselves into the commerce activities that could happen on TikTok or Instagram or uh, other networks. So the offering is, is a simple storefront that can be used for digital goods or physical merchandise. And the real key is, uh, is, is embedding the links into these bios, uh, which is really becoming the main means of discoverability, uh, finding out what these creators can offer beyond uh, what they can show in, in a photo or, or a very short video or reel uh, on, these, uh, on these services. So, Sean, we, I know we've spoken about uh, creator monetization, but to me, it was a little surprising to see uh, A, Google insert itself here. Uh, maybe, you know, that's part of the reason why it's coming from the incubator. Uh, and B, Google making uh, an e-commerce play, which is uh, not something that it has uh, historically done directly. Uh, most of its e-commerce activity has been focused on partnering with retailers like Walmart or through initiatives like, like Google Shopping. Uh, but this seems like, uh, seems like a good idea to me. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is it feels a little bit like a Wix competitor on the surface, where it's an easy turnkey way of having a web presence, but they're really catering to a creator audience who already has a strong presence on places like YouTube and, and others. And so they're tying directly into some of those channels that are already are already occupied by these creators. They're gonna connect it directly to the storefronts, to the YouTube merch shelf, to Google search, to Google shopping. So it feels like it isn't a replacement of a traditional website in the Wix kind of uh, a way, but more an, an augmentation of and an aggregation of all of these other channels. Importantly, it's a way of trying to allow these creators to more easily monetize their their content uh, in classic Google fashion they add in a uh, dashboard where you can see your stats and uh, you know you monitor things in in real time so they uh, they love to provide insights on products and sales so they're clearly doing that um, in, in some ways, they're creating a little bit of customization, but it really feels like it's got some turnkey aspects to it to really help creators not only grow their presence and their brand, but importantly, grow their monetization. So look for the uh, Ross Rubin and, and Sean Dubrovec storefronts. <laughs> the uh, expansive the store. We, yes, yeah. in weeks ahead. Buy your merch now. Autographed NFTs of uh, <laughs> yeah. older older podcasts. Uh, but good point, Sean, when it comes to YouTube, which uh, uh, of course provides a, a special opportunity for Google. YouTube in some ways acts as, uh, as an independent company within uh, Google. Uh, and so I wouldn't necessarily assume that it would jump on this kind of opportunity. Uh, but there certainly is a great opportunity for Google to promote this 
to YouTube creators who have much more room uh, to promote various links and services uh, in the captions or text that appears below a video or uh, in describing a channel than in the relatively limited space that often appears in a Twitter bio or an Instagram bio. Uh, so that could actually uh, offer an advantage for Kaya that uh, something like Wix would uh, would not necessarily have access to. And a lot of the individuals, the creators that they seem to be profiling all appear to have pretty strong YouTube presences. Mm. So they seem to, uh, you know, be, be there. And this is a way for those creators to expand their monetization approaches beyond just advertisements and, and a share of advertisements, which they get in YouTube. You know, there's not a lot of great visibility there. Uh, and And you see some creators criticize their share of the ad revenue based upon what counts and what doesn't count and and how many hits and views it takes to reach certain thresholds. So this is a way for them to have greater control over that. So I think it's a one way it's designed to empower the creators, but I think it's also in response to some of the criticism that Google has faced over how they're helping these creators monetize their presence. Well, it seems that uh, 2022 uh, is shaping up to be the year of the creator, uh, not only among all these social networks that are launching funds to try to attract more people to their platform, to grow the audience and diversify the content, uh, but also in terms of the means by which these creators uh, can be monetized once they have been uh, incentivized to, to join the platform. Uh, of course, one of the companies that is participating in this creator drive is Meta, uh, wanting to uh, attract creators to its, uh, its, its, the metaverse that it's building. And one of the key properties therein is Horizon Worlds. And unfortunately, it has not taken long for there to be uh, allegations of uh, harassment uh, in this uh, virtual world with uh, news that uh, a woman claims that uh, she was groped uh, within Horizon Worlds. I, I'm assuming that was that her, her avatar was groped in some way. Uh, I didn't, you know, from what I've seen in Horizon Worlds, uh, I, I didn't know how uh, that could uh, could be done uh, with avatars, uh, but but I'm, I'm, I imagine it's possible. Uh, and uh, the response, interestingly, back from Meta is that uh, this person should have reported this in some kind of safe zone. So, you know, here we are just a few months after Meta uh, has has launched, you know, its its new push, uh, which was viewed widely as an opportunity to escape a lot of the bad publicity around, among other things, harassment uh, in its uh, two dimensional community. And you know, we're certainly seeing that it is not a um, certainly not a panacea for for those issues as. Uh, uh, and then, of course, as someone who's who's looked at virtual communities for a long time uh, knows, uh, certainly not the first time we have seen these kinds of issues. 
Uh, to Meta's credit, you know, executives there have acknowledged that we're likely going to see instances like this, and unfortunately, more of this. And uh, we certainly don't want to damn the metaverse by saying that there will be uh, bad actors and bad behavior. But uh, but it's just a reminder to me that uh, you know while these these new worlds may offer a lot of exciting opportunities, there remain a lot of social ills uh, and, and bad actors that, that need to be addressed. Yeah, and, and just more details on the safe zone that's built mm. into the, the platform. This is essentially a virtual bubble that uh, protects the user, uh, again, in the virtual space it, that, that no one else can enter. They can't interact with the person. They can't touch them. They can't talk to them. Or interact them in any any way. So it's it is like a uh, a fail safe. Should you have bad actors in the metaverse, you can can push this to uh, to immediately provide some level of protection without having to yourself exit the the game or exit the environment. Right, and right. that's one of the things that that uh, Meta is trying to avoid is people leaving because of of bad actors and bad experiences. Well, and also because if this thing reaches the level of utility that it can ideally reach, people will have important things to do there, you know, shopping and education and perhaps work. Uh, so uh, you should not have to be forced to leave just because you're you're being harassed. So. Yeah, the incident was acknowledged by Meta, so I don't know if that means that they have recorded the history of of it and they were able to go back and review it, mm-hmm. which also opens up other questions about the their access to the interactions that take place within Meta's Horizon worlds, or or if they simply acknowledged it based upon the um, the claim by the by the individual and and then talked about ways that they could have. Uh, have done that. And clearly they foresaw, unfortunately, some of these type of things happening and, and created the, uh, the, the safety zone, you know, for, for that to, uh, to respond to that. Uh, unfortunately it is the unsavory part of the internet and of, of digital worlds that we will uh, inevitably see more of that in 2022. And we'll see companies looking to, uh, combat that as well. That's probably a great place to wrap up this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm uh, Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>